You're listening to audio from St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. If you would indulge me for a minute, and I know you do often, close your eyes, and I'd love to read you scripture today. I know most of the time we read it together, but I'd love to read it for you. And as we get into the scripture today, I want you to picture yourself on a mountain or high hill. Don't think Rocky Mountains, think Kentucky mountains. And I want you to picture a multitude, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people around you. If you're an introvert, I want you to imagine you love these people and they love you well. (laughs) Now hear the reading of God's word. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. God, we pray this morning that as we hear the scripture, that it would breathe and live within us fresh and anew. And that much like a city that was gathered there on that hill that day, you would feed us, and you would send us forth to be your people in the world. And we ask it in Jesus' name, and the people of God said, Amen. Amen. You know, it seems like the right day to talk about lunch, because that's what we're doing here in a little bit, and that's one of my favorite topics. A double plus, absolutely. But it's really not about that. In fact, as much as we make this story in the gospel one of five loaves and two fish, I would say it's much about a bunch of events that have transpired about 1,280 years before this miracle happens. One of the things you'll note as uh, one of your pastors here at St. Luke is I absolutely love the Old Testament, and I don't think we hear it enough. 
For some reason, in our modern age, we tend to gravitate towards the Gospels or Epistles, which, hey, look, that's great too. But the reality is the New Testament only makes up a third of our Bible, and it's not we love the New Testament and sort of discard the Old Testament as over and done with. Rather, it's one big story which God is orchestrating. And within that greater story is the story of Israel. And I love the Israelites because they give me hope, because I'm a knucklehead just like them. And if we were to look at the Old Testament scriptures, what we would recognize is that 90% of the Old Testament is the story of God and Israel. And it's a group of people who start off in Egypt, they're slaves, their identity is really rooted in how many bricks they can make each day to build the real estate empire of the Pharaoh. They're hungry, quite literally for an identity, for purpose, for freedom, for food, likely for drink, for all kinds of things. That's Israel. And so God liberates them. It's an amazing set of events that unfolds with plagues. And I wanted to be there the day that the Nile turned to blood or the day where all the gnats showed up. Or, I mean, it sounds really, really cool. And then they passed out, God passed over the door frames with blood on the homes of the Israelites. And they end up in the desert, and the first thing they start to do is grumble. Now, you would imagine they would be happy, right? No, they're no longer slaves. God has done these miraculous signs. They know that God is on their side, so on and so forth. But if I were to summarize a couple chapters of the book of Exodus, it would go something like this. Hey, we're thirsty and hungry. It would have been better if we died in Egypt rather than out here in the desert. Thanks a lot, God. And this story more or less repeats year after year for about 40 years. And after that, we have a sequence of events where it seems like the people of Israel more or less forget who they are. They're always hungry for something. They're thirsty. They're hungry. They're hungry for safety. They want all of this stuff. And then at a certain point, they just want Moses to sit around all day and listen to their problems. So Moses' father-in-law comes in fresh for the weekend in Exodus chapter 18 and says, Moses, you can't do this. you got to raise up some people. You need to raise up an army, teach them to know what you know, to believe what you believe, and let them listen to the cases of the people. And then the tough ones, let them bring those to you. You need other people with you to do this life. You need a crew. Now, if you think you've ever had a tough job, I want you to imagine being Moses for a day. You're trying to build the ship as it's taking off out of port or build the 747 as it's taking off down the runway. And if you think that's a tough job, imagine being God for just a moment. You're the complaint department most of the time. God, I want. God, I'm hungry for. God, why did it turn out this way? I mean, that has got to be a really, really tough gig. Are you with me? And so here we are, friends. I think we have lots of hunger in life, just like Israel, for power, for money, for healing, for time, for acceptance, for freedom, for love. Our hunger points to something deeper inside each one of us, really. And our struggle is we tend to look for things that are within our reach that we can grasp that don't satisfy we're quite good at it. And Snickers is great. Are you with me? 
I mean, it's great for about 30 minutes. And when the high fructose corn syrup runs out, what do you get? Sugar crash. And that's how it works. The things that we tend to hunger for that are within our reach, the problem is only God can provide what's beyond our reach, which truly satisfies us. And that hunger is something we all have. And the beauty of today's passage is Jesus picks this right moment to satisfy, to build a community, and to show us fulfillment in the kingdom of God. See, the beauty is really within the context of the passage. And whenever you read in your Bible that someone is on a mountaintop, I want you to get your highlighter pen, circle it, put some stars around it, and write, Yeehaw, because get ready, God is ready to do something big. This is what God does throughout uh, the scriptures on mountaintops, whether we want to talk about Eden or Mount Sinai or Jesus being transfigured or Mount Calvary or even the Great Commission, it's always happening on a mountaintop. And so Jesus is on a mountaintop. It's Passover time, uh, we're told, and we're also told repeatedly he's testing. He's testing the disciples. This is something that has happened throughout the Exodus, by the way. God tells them repeatedly, and Moses reminds them that they're being tested. And at the end of every turn, through every test, what they learned is God is faithful to provide. So what we know at the outset of this is that God is getting ready to do something big and to satisfy a hunger that's beyond the reach of Israel. Now, Philip didn't know this. He was an accountant like me. And he looked at all of that which was happening through very practical eyes, much like I unfortunately do too often. He said, boss, here's the deal. Where are we going to go buy bread that these people are going to eat? And the problem is 200 denarii, a massive sum of money, is not going to be enough to buy all of the wonder bread at the supermarket that we're going to need to feed these people. What are we going to do? Boss, we're in trouble here. And so it's just like Israel's hunger in the desert, isn't it? We're not going to make it. It would have been better if we'd gone back to Egypt. We don't have what we need. God, send us back. And I wonder sometimes, friends, is our hunger really about a lack of God's provision or our lack of asking for God's divine participation? Philip looked for resources within his reach. And then there was this glorious little boy who walked up and gave his lunch. The scripture reads, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And I get the picture. I want you to realize when we tend to think about five barley loaves, we think loaves of bread, right? Like you go to the bakery and you buy these things. We're talking dinner rolls here. So when the little boy walks up with five barley loaves and two fish, what do you think the crowd and the disciples did? Oh, are you with me? Oh, can you picture all the moms in the crowd elbowing their kid? Why can't you be more like that kid? Share with your brother. That's the picture I get. He walks up with five barley loaves and two fish, and the crowds went, oh. But what are they for so many? 
And that's why we hunger for God, friends. Because we miss out on the resources that are here, which God has provided. And it's funny how it manifests itself in our lives. Think about even Holy Communion. I know we made a change lately, so I want to offer a little bit of context and explanation. Personally, I wonder what it says about God when we give people a little cracker. What does this say about God's abundance? So we switch to real bread. And it's fascinating, in the days of intinction, how little people would take from the loaf. Have you ever watched this? It's enough maybe to squeeze between your fingers. I realize it's, it's out of, you know, I want to be kind and leave some for the person behind. But we can get more bread. There's got to be a little boy with five barley loaves somewhere. And so this is the way that we approach the throne of God in a time of having communion with God, and yet we'll go down the road to Golden Corral and eat 20 plates full. Where's the imbalance in that kingdom? Yes? Or even the way that we worship. We have these temples that are located all throughout America, and we go and we cheer on these gladiator-type folks who we say tackle them and hit them and catch the ball and we yell at the people who are supervising the game. At the top of our lungs we scream and we sing the fight song. At the top of our lungs it doesn't matter that we couldn't carry a tune in two buckets that are double insulated. And yet we get to worship on Sunday and fall silent. Why is that the case? What does that say? Or perhaps the notion that we spend thousands of dollars on our hobbies, and then when pressed for a hundred bucks, we go, well, I just don't have it. It's not in the budget. Friends, no wonder we're hungry. Look at what we fill our lives with. And yet look at what Jesus does. He took the loaves, he gave thanks, he distributed them, And so also the fish. And what does the scripture say? As much? See, he didn't give them a 100-calorie snack pack, friends. He let them eat until they were full. And the scripture says, and when they had eaten there, he told his disciples, this is where they get involved, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Twelve baskets, twelve liters, twelve tribes, and the beautiful part is God's resources are abundant enough not only to fill all of Israel as they're in a wilderness on a mountain, but we're also told that there's fragments left over for the rest of the world. In fact, in the days to come, there will be a woman who approaches Jesus in need of healing, and Jesus says it's not right for the master to toss the bread for the children to the dogs. And the woman says, but even the dogs eat the crumbs, the leftovers from the master's table. And Jesus says to her, great is your faith, go and be healed. There's enough, friends. There's more than enough. And God desires for all of us to be part of this. Can we trust Jesus with our lunch? You better believe it. 
And when you do, and when you're hungry, and those around you are hungry, he'll bless it, multiply it, invite you to participate in it, and give it to the entire world. You see, here, Jesus isn't just doing miracles. He's training ministers to bring fulfillment to other people. This is a training exercise. And I would say that there's three ways we can do ministries, friends. We can do ministry to people. We can give them bread and fish, and it takes a leader and a couple of people, and you get some impact. You can do ministry for people, which means maybe you take them shopping, and that takes a little more effort, a leader, and a few more people. Or you can do ministry with people. And when you do ministry with people, you take the resources around them and the resources of the kingdom, and you pray for God to be part of it, and then you ask the kingdom to come alongside and get engaged in the ministry, and now what you have is a transformational movement of God that changes the multitude. Are you with me? That's what we're after. And you know what I saw on Friday? I saw a city on a hill. A city on a hill of people here at St. Luke who invited others in, who loved them well, who desired that they feel at home and feel connected and like they're part of something. It was amazing. Well done. It was a training exercise. Because what you saw on Friday should be replicated Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And our hope is that the masses would not only come here, but we would send the masses to the entire Lexington community. Because I know this, friends, the Lexington community is hungry. And instead of eating a, a corn syrup diet, they're hungry for the spiritual things of God. And you, you are the ministers of the kingdom. You know how to love well. You know how to bring people in, in, into the presence of God. You did it. You know, today was wear your favorite team shirt Sunday. For our guests, I'm sorry, that's always a weird Sunday. You look beautiful. For the folks who didn't wear their team shirt, it's all good. But I thought about who's my team, and what I realized is really this. You know, this is my team. This is the team that I want to be part of. This is the team that mobilizes the kingdom of God. This is what it's all about. I mean, it's infectious. The spirit of God is active and working, friends. And so as we move forward, I think we've got to figure out how do we continue to build this. And I want to offer you five practices that have got to become part of the DNA, the fabric of who we are. The first one is inviting. Now imagine everybody's saying, well, wait a minute, shouldn't we be reading our Bible and praying and studying? You should, it's coming. But I would say you start here, and this is why. If you are in the practice of evangelism and invitation, I guarantee more often than not, you're going to be living the Christian life. Because you can't share it if you're not living it. So if you start there, if you start with inviting, it, it neither gets lost and it's also on you to live the Christian life. So invite. It's your job to make one disciple this year. How are you doing? we got about nine months left. Worshiping is the second part of it. And that's why we're here today. And man, you all look good. And God looks great, yes? 
Yes. So worshiping, the goal should be 40 out of 52 Sundays. Some of you are saying, that's not enough. you got to start somewhere. Some of you are saying, that's too much. Let's grow a little. The third one's forming. And formation is both individual and it's corporate. There should be personal practices of scripture reading and prayer and fasting and Holy Communion and all these kinds of practices. And there should also be a practice by which you study with other people and are in community with them. So if you need a Sunday school or a small group, a house group, we would love to get you plugged in. Let us know and we'll do it. There are no Lone Ranger Christians, friends. Doesn't exist. You need people to get in your face and tell you, you know what, you're full of baloney. I love those people in my life. The fourth practice is generosity. That's being generous with with your finances, which leads to the fifth uh, practice, which is also uh, part of generosity, and that's serving. What's your ministry? You know, here's the thing. I'm not interested in running the spiritual golden corral here. I'm just not. What I'm interested in doing is teaching and empowering and watching the city on a hill go do ministry to all the world because that's the stuff that lasts. And that's partly on you. And when it happens, (laughs) it's infectious. You know, I think about a story of my friends, Brett and Andrea. They're in the bottom right-hand corner of this picture. I married Brett and Andrea. They were Christians, connected to a church, kind of. And they wanted to get married in the church. And I said, hey, here's the deal. You know, you, you, you can't do Christianity without a church family. And I, okay. So I kept on them a little bit. They joined the church that I was serving. And they got involved in these practices. They started to get involved in what it is to become part of a city on a hill as Matthew chapter 5 says to us. And so they invited uh, other friends, top left-hand corner, uh, Andrea and Brian. And so they get involved, and then they realize, you know, we need a small group. We can't just come to worship. We've got to grow. We've got to study. You know, I want to press in deeper to the things of God. And as they studied together, what they realized was they needed a ministry. So they started a ministry with a uh, group who they take, uh, women, single parent family women who are going through college and need to be supported in a variety of ways from childcare to resourcing so they can get their degree and become sustainable and recognize that the kingdom of God is, is bigger than just reading your Bible. There's, there's more to it. There, there's a justice component to it about helping people live into their calling and their purpose in life. And, and before you know it, you got a city that's slowly being changed. And that's what we're after here, friends. You know, one of my mentors used to tell his church, I am not here to feed you. I'm here to make you hungry. And I kind of always thought, "Eh, I don't know about that. He's dead right. My goal going forward is this. I want you to be hungry. And yes, I want you to feel filled when you come here. But I also want to show you how to eat a healthy diet. And to be strengthened, to go forth in ministry, to be the city on a hill that St. Luke is. 
because I saw it Friday. And we see it in this passage. Jesus shows us a city on a hill. This is what life in the kingdom is supposed to look like. And there are so many spiritually hungry, spiritually broken people in the Lexington community. And here's the thing, friends. I can't feed them all, but you can. It's on you. And if we're going to become the people of God that God has called us to be, then it's got to be more than just what happens within these walls. It's like a river that flows out to the entire world and changes everything and touches everything everywhere it goes. This is what I know. I'm excited to be part of this city with you, and I am excited to see what God is going to do in these upcoming days. I hope that you are too. Get your Nikes on. Get ready. And it's time to move. Are you with me? Are we with God? Let's pray. God, thank you for your love, for your faithfulness. And we woke up feeling dangerous this morning because we know that you're at work. And God, sometimes we're like Israel. We just, you know, we get hungry for things that are within our reach. And what we recognize today is you not only want to feed us with a heavenly food that we need to bring real satisfaction in our lives, but you want to use us. You want to use us to be your people in the world, to be that shining, bright city on a hill that transforms everything around it. And so, God, our prayer today is to you wouldn't just feed us, but you would fill us, and even more that you would send us forth, because somewhere we go this week, somewhere in Lexington, someone is going to need you. They're going to be hungry or broken or hurting And God, you've got a mass of ministers here in this congregation this morning. So use them. Use them to be a witness for you. We pray this in and through the name of Jesus Christ and the people of God said, amen. Let's stand and sing together.